In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the resurrection turning the world upside down and how God defeating sin and trampling down death uh, through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ has opened up a whole new world, a whole new reality, a whole new hope and promise as we have been given the gift of life. And what that means uh, from the statement of uh, Thomas, my Lord and my God, to the disciples uh, working in power, like last week, of uh, not only healing the man who is lame, but also in the name of Jesus, but also proclaiming, why should you be astonished? There's nothing more astonishing than God raising Jesus from the dead. And if that's happened, then this is nothing really, right? Um, and we've been talking about this um, image of, and this view of the world being turned upside down, primarily from the apostles, from, from our standpoint, from the believers standpoint. But today we're also going to look at um, what it is for the world or those who are in power and control or those not so enthusiastic. Because we begin with Acts chapter four, which picks up where we left off last week with uh, the man who was, who was healed and um, who was lame at the temple beautiful and temple gate beautiful and um and peter's preaching to the people and people are coming to know jesus and he says you know repent turn come back come in and so as they're speaking to the people the priests and the captain of the temple the sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming jesus and the resurrection of the dead and they arrested them. They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And so now you remember there in Acts 2, we, we skipped that because um, it's Pentecost. We're going to have to go backwards to it. But there were about 3,000 um, sort of at the end of Acts chapter 2. So now at the end of Acts chapter um, 3, the beginning of Acts chapter 4, that number has almost doubled again. There's about 5,000 who've come to believe. And the rulers and the elders on the next day, and this is where our passage today picks up, uh, gathered in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were in the high priestly family. And they said, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people of Israel, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all the people that is Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and has become the keystone, the cornerstone, and there's no salvation by no other name. And our reading ends there with this proclamation of, of Peter, but it continues, this passage continues with them uh, sort of getting into a little holy huddle and uh, wondering uh, what they should say. And they're, you know, 
weighing their options because all these people are coming to believe and they're afraid of the opposition. But at the same time, they they um, obviously are are annoyed. And so they say to them, um, "Okay, we're going to let you go, but don't speak any more in this name. And Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen, but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they threatened him further, and then they, they went on their way. And so one of the things that um, happens in the resurrection in the world being turned upside down is all of a sudden power and control and the fear that's um, placed on people's lives of, of being cut off um, is taken away. You know, they're threatening with imprisonment. They're threatening with, with being cast off. And this is, this is um, you know, one of the big powers that the, the leadership of Israel has. They have the power to remove you from the community, to isolate you, to cut you off. Um, and they wield this power and they hold it over you in, in not an unsimilar way that Rome holds over the power of your whole life um, and freedom. Uh, and what happens when that power is, is taken away? What happens when that power is diminished, when they threaten um, to imprison Peter and John if they continue to do this? And they say, we, we have to follow God, not listen to you. Their world is turned upside down as well. What happens when, when the God of peace comes to bring life and love and mercy and justice into the world? And to bring you to himself. For this is much of what today's lessons are about the reality of exclusion being trampled down and the inclusivity of God's love being open to the world. Uh, Audrey has an American Girl book about drama and rumors and things like that. And they're, they're written in a lot of ways by just ordinary other girls who send in things and they compile them. But one of the one of the comments in there um, was drama is primarily about excluding others. Drama is primarily about excluding others. And we can say at times that's exactly what's happening throughout the scriptures. Um, it is certainly what's happening in in John chapter 10, um, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And we, we need to understand about John chapter 10 is that it is completely connected to John chapter 9. So John chapter 9, you might remember, or might not, is 
is the story of the man born blind who is healed. And there's a big drama, right? There's a big drama that goes along with this passage that um, starts with the disciples saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, nobody sinned, right? This just happened in order, actually, for God to be glorified. Um, and he heals the man born blind. And uh, there's it happens on the Sabbath. And there's a big sort of religious inquisition all about it. And they bring in the man, um, and they don't really believe him, so they go get his parents. And and this is this is sort of one of the key aspects of this passage because his parents say yes, he was blind, um, but we don't know how he got healed. Ask him; he's an adult; he can speak for himself. Because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue, they were fa- afraid of being cut off from the community, and that was the power that the religious leaders had. And it was the power they wielded and the power they held over you. And they controlled people with this power. You'll be cut off from the village. You'll be isolated from your community. Now you're already right under Roman authority. You're sort of a little nation that's not fully free to begin with, dependent upon one another and now you could be cut off yet again so not only are you under roman authority now you cut off from your own fellow um, israelites jews and you're you're cast out of your religious community your church your synagogue right and so they're afraid and they don't answer and they bring the man born blind back in again <clears throat> and he says you've already asked me all these questions why do you want to, you, to become the disciple of jesus too and they get all mad they're like we know we know who uh don't be speaking to us about this we this guy's a sinner and he's like well i don't know if he's a sinner or not um he opened my eyes we know that god only listens to to holy people and uh, they they become enraged um and like, who do you think you are to lecture us? You were steeped in sin from birth. Um, and they cast him out of the synagogue. And so he's, so they follow through with those threats this time, right? He's, he's cast off. And Jesus comes and finds him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, yes. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, he who is speaking to you, you have seen him and he is me. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And some of the religious leaders are saying, are you talking about us? He says, well, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now what you say you see, your guilt remains. In other words, you think you have all the answers and you're not willing to look deeper into the things of God, and, and so you can't see. And so now, this passage, this chapter that we come into, John 10, falls right into that. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. He goes down through this to say, I am the one who comes to pursue these people are looking to exclude you. 
these people are looking to exclude lots of people, right, by their various rules. They're trying to set up for themselves sort of the perfect community, not unlike what the Puritans did when they came to this country, you know, a long time ago, trying to set up the new Jerusalem with all sorts of little laws and rules that you had to follow in order to be a part, which is in some ways to, to make you a member, but also a lot of ways to exclude those who weren't. This is what the religious leaders here are doing. They're excluding. And Jesus says, I'm coming to find my sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I seek after my sheep. My sheep know my voice and I know theirs and I'm coming for them. Right, this is almost like one of those um, action movies, right? Like uh, Taken where he's like, I'm coming for my daughter, right? You know, one of those one of those types of things, like, I'm coming. You're in big trouble, right? This is this is uh what we have here in Jesus in some ways. I have sheep. You keep casting them out, and I'm gonna go get them. I'm pursuing them. They know my voice. And actually, I have more sheep that you haven't even tried to exclude yet. And I'm gonna get them too. And they're going to come into my fold. And it's a powerful, powerful passage about what Jesus is doing for us. What Jesus does for us to seek us out, to bring us into the fold of God, to give us life. Right? It's, it's an amazing vision. And, and not one that should be completely lost, certainly in this, this time of continuing pandemic, right? Hopefully we're coming to a close soon, soon, but we all know what this past year has been of, of isolation, of being cut off. And that's just from a disease. Imagine it being basically just something that the government said or the religious leader said and said, you can't come in. You are now isolated. Nobody can have contact with you. Nobody can talk to you. You need to stay here basically on house arrest on your own. Jesus is saying, I'm always looking for you. To draw you to me. To draw you to life. You want to throw him out. I will go get him. And we, this passage, can, Luke concludes with, um, with uh, Jesus' words. I have authority to lay it down, talking about his own life, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I received from my father. And then there was division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so we see here, these aren't the people when you tell you the Jews in John's gospel. These are the religious leaders. These are the ones in control. So now even they are, are starting to be conflicted, right? They're fighting amongst themselves. But people so passionate about excluding or just saying, he's got a demon, right? But it leads also to the 23rd Psalm. 
this image of, of God going to get you, God caring for you, God blessing you. We're good with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Right? God caring, nurturing, feeding. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We have God as the protector. The Lord is our protector. From all animals, things out in the wilderness that can affect us. The Lord is our protector. My cup runneth over, right? He anointest me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And we're we're familiar with that passage. When the Lord is with us, goodness and mercy will follow us. And this isn't this isn't like we follow God and so therefore good things happen to us. There's a better word for follow. The word probably is, is better as pursue. And and instead of surely, it's probably only. And and when the Lord is our shepherd, goodness and mercy will pursue us. Only goodness and mercy are coming after us. So, right, we have the image of, of the, the rod and the staff as protect, protecting, leading, guiding, keeping all the things of the world, all the creature, the fierce creatures at bay. But we have this other image, right, of goodness and mercy pursuing us. Who pursues us? The good shepherd. Nothing is going to pursue us but the goodness and mercy and grace of God who comes after us, who brings us in and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, this psalm is, is powerful. Right? There's a reason that it's read all the time. It's a reason we have it in the lectionary four times a year. Right? It's a powerful psalm that describes what God is, is, right? The characteristics of God, but also what God does in protecting and guiding and feeding and healing and nourishing and pursuing and bringing us in. And so now we're back, right, to this, this passage of, what happens when the world is turned upside down and you can't control, you can't use fear, you can't wield your power because we have a God who pursues us, who includes us, who welcomes us. No longer is there male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, no longer is there poor or rich? No longer is there weak or strong. No longer all these things that we set up to exclude others, to compartmentalize others, to put others in their little boxes, God is breaking down and is saying, I am the keystone, the capstone, the cornerstone 
the stone that holds it all together. And when we build ourselves up as living stones upon the stone of Jesus Christ, we have the power to bring life, to bring love, to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring strength. And we have the courage to face the world that tries to exclude, and tries to control. Because we know that we have one far superior who's brought us into the fold, into the house, into life. And not just us, but a whole world of sheep who know his name. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise for being a God who pursues, a God who loves, God who protects and guides and heals and feeds and nourishes us. Primarily a God who seeks after those who are lost, hopeless, afraid, despondent, weak. And you bring them in with goodness and mercy. Give us courage, we pray, not only to hear your voice and to heed your voice, but to help bring others into that fold, to bear witness to your life and your light, and bear witness to the world that is turned upside down as you have brought forth peace and justice and mercy to the lives of all who are here. Come, Lord Jesus, send forth your spirit. For this we pray. Amen.